She still got it, man. All right. Well, hey, everybody. I'm Steve Hamburg, lead pastor here at Vintage. Really, really glad that you are here uh, in this holiday season. I got a couple of extra things for you to know. How many of you uh, guys went to man camp last year with the network churches? Yeah, yeah. So we're doing that again. We'll kind of give you a heads up. On the way out today, you'll receive this. Uh, all the guys will receive this men's retreat. A uh, little brochure right here. Uh, February, so again, just February 6th through 8th, again, the same uh, retreat center down in Covington, the FFA Center. Uh, it'll cost 150 bucks, so not super bad. It'll begin February 6th through 8th. want to make sure that you know that. Be looking, so this week, a couple of things. One, the email's me going out that's going to have the ability to like to sign up on it. So again, if you are the primary reader, ladies of the vintage email, uh, I want to make sure that you let your husbands know about that. If you want to, just go ahead and sign them up. That'd be fantastic and surprise them, right? Merry Christmas, right? And so you could do that. Or men, just make sure you make that sign up. You can go online right now at Vintage also. But all the information you need to know is on this little postcard, and you'll pick it up on your way out. Uh, lastly, you saw, actually I got two more. Um, but one is this. When you walked in today, you had this year-end offering envelope. I simply want you to have this as a reminder. I know some of if you're like, hey, I'm going to fill, I'm going to kind of give, I'm going to give towards Rooted, but I also want to give above and beyond this year uh, to what we're doing at Vintage. And this is simply just a helpful reminder for you to hold on to. When's the last day you can give? December 31st. It's the last Sunday of the month. And so I just want you to have that so that you can give as you feel called to the Lord. And in that, uh, just to recognize again, we did kind of a, we did a financial update last week of where we are with Rooted, specifically where we are in the context of trying to move forward forward with our land, uh, conversations we had around banks. And so I encourage us to that podcast last week is it had all the information that you need to know and uh, to keep you in the loop. Um, let me get number 23 to stand up. Brandon Carter. All right here, baby. Hey, right, so yesterday, basically, Harrison won the state championship. Yeah, for Harrison, right? He played defensive back. He was basically, uh, he was always covering the main guy. If you're watching the game last night, man, ball came out, hit the receivers, huh? Friday, was it Friday night? Yes. It was just like, I relive it every day, guys, right? So Friday night, we I mean, had the game, and so he played, ball went through the receiver's hands, Brandon caught it, ran it all the way back to the one yard line, basically sealed the deal for the Hoyas right here. Let's give it up for the Hoyas. Give it for Brandon. Man, way to go, Harrison. How many Harrison grads do we have in the room? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's that? What's that? I mean, of all ages, this is fantastic. So, uh, what? Yeah, I mean, of all ages, you've got the whatever. Stop it, Shelly. Here we go. So, hey, we're diving in this morning to our third week of Advent. Uh, again, I want you to remember, I want you just to hear this. Advent literally is all about slowing down and remembering, right? It's remembering that Jesus is coming again. It's remembering that he came to make peace in the context of our lives and to raise you up to be peacemakers yourselves in the context of the life that you're living. And this week we're going to be focusing on this, this trait of Jesus that he brings into the world at Christmas, which is joy. And so I want to begin by reading again this ever-familiar Advent scripture from Isaiah chapter 9. I've read it for the first two weeks. I'll read it again this week, and who knows? I'm going to read it again next week. We'll see. But it says this. And here's the point I want you to, here's the thing. 
Please don't ever let scripture reading being boring. I mean, Isaiah does an unbelievable job of creating imagery that we can all dive into. So as I read this, I want you to put yourself into the story and feel what Isaiah, who, like what he's trying to say and who he's speaking to. And I want you to, quote unquote, feel this language. It says this, the people walking in darkness. Can you just picture that? Can you put yourself into your own life of that or someone else's life? Just people walking in darkness and they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You, God, have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, where God just showed up in power, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar, the yoke across their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressor. Like the imagery of Isaiah paints this picture of what Christmas is all about. The people in darkness, they've seen the light. People in chains have been set free, and they are filled with joy as they rejoice. The week of Advent, this week of Advent, again, we focus on joy as we remember and as we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And if I'm honest, I, I love, I love this word joy when I think about its presence in my life. Like when I sit there, if you looked at me and said, Steve, joy is present in your life. It's not one of those things. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. Let's keep on. I'm like, are you serious? Joy is present. Joy has come. Light has broken into darkness. This is unbelievable, right? So as we talk about the coming of joy at Christmas, it's not just one of those things that we bypass, even in singing this song, joy to the world. Yeah, this is a good fun. No, like, we go, joy has come to the world. Joy has come to us. And that, my friends, fills me with excitement, and I hope it does for you also. We look at the, the, the words of the angels. In fact, what we say is the promise of the angels in Luke 2. Again, super familiar. They said, hey, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Like when the angels stood there in the moments, like you've probably heard this over the years. You've probably read it and stuff that you've read. Like, what do you think was happening for the angels? Was it a ho-hum kind of yawning moment for them? Or was it, no, everything in all of heaven has been preparing for this moment. And I don't know why, but God chose that I get to be the angel to come and to share with the entire world the good news that every prophet has been speaking about and every Jew has been preparing for and everyone in the world can receive if they don't even know it yet. I get to be the messenger. Listen, I have good news. It is of great joy for everyone. 
And so when we talk about joy this morning, would you please allow the undercurrent of God's spirit, the fullness of his movement that is always present to invade you. And I don't care what your last six months has looked like. I don't care what your last three months, one month, one week or last few days. I don't care how dark those moments have been. It's into your darkness that the angel comes that Isaiah spoke into and said, listen, the people you're walking in great darkness, but hey, a light has dawned. It's the undercurrent of God's spirit. It is joy now present in the coming, the advent of Jesus. And it is now here. And that, my friends, is good news. Right? It's good news. In this moment, again, the angels speaking with conviction, speaking with belief. They're speaking with confidence. Like they have confidence that this is good news that produces not just joy, it produces great joy. It was a beautiful and powerful promise from them that is true today and every day. For all of us and those who've given our lives to Jesus, the idea is this joy is the promise of Jesus for God's children in his coming. Joy is the promise of Jesus for God's children. So with this in mind, for the sake of conversation, I want us to pause and I want us to remember what joy is. I want to talk about it and I remember what it is not for If we have the wrong definition of joy, then we will have a wrong expectation of joy. And we all know that when we have an an unrealistic expectation of something, that we'll get frustrated when it's not realized, right? And so the idea is like, let's create a real understanding and expectation of what joy is and what it is not so that you can have a realistic expectation this season and for the months to come and years to come of what joy in your life will be like and what it will look like. So I want to begin. You've probably heard of the guy named John Piper. He comes in. He writes this. Uh, he, I was studying. He had this incredible, just super simple, unique way of defining joy. He says this. Christian joy is a good feeling or an emotion in the soul. Produced by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Look at it again. I'm going to read it again. Christian joy is a good feeling or emotion in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Like the idea of, again, like we, it's okay to talk about emotion. It's okay to... To, to talk about feeling, right? Because joy is this, we're going to talk about it, but joy is a feeling or emotion, the depth and the part of who we are in the context of our soul. And in this, we see it really pictured in the verses we read from Isaiah 9. Remember, people were walking in darkness. What does that feel like? Like walking in darkness? I mean, you remember when you were a kid walking into the basement? What kind of feelings did that produce? Not good. Right? Like, oh my gosh, this is so scary. Right? Or you'd be like doing all of a sudden, it's great. And the lights turn off and we will do these scream no matter where you are. Why? Because like, oh my gosh, it's dark. Right? It produces feelings. It produces emotions. If I say, hey, for the next week, you're going to be walking in utter and complete darkness in everything that you think about. What kind of emotion will that elicit from you? Not good. Right? 
Those walking in darkness weren't going, darkness, yay, right? No, it was overwhelming. So when light came, he spoke this word over them because he knew, he knew it would, recall, it would cause and bring about rejoicing. There's this feeling, there's this emotion attached to it. And in this, joy then produces, it produced the, the traits of joy. Joy brings about an inner contentment. An inner contentment. It produces a deep down sense of well-being that resides in the very core of my being, regardless of my situation, good or bad. And so joy is this feeling or emotion that we have in the when Paul says, man, it's like I've learned to be content in times of plenty. Or in times of need, he's saying, I have a sense of joy, an inner contentment, a feeling, right? A, listen, he's like, a, a, a good feeling in my soul because the Holy Spirit's producing it. Because all I see in the midst of the good and the bad is the beauty of Jesus. Like, that's where joy comes from. He's the source. And so what we're saying is, man, we live life reminding, here's the thing. Like the, the, the church fathers who instituted Advent because the church was falling into the ways of culture and they were trying to reawaken the church to the reality of Jesus is coming again tomorrow and he came now and so we celebrate his coming tomorrow so we live life as if tomorrow's when he returns. They're doing that. They're doing that in the moment to say, we want you this third week to realize there's a contentment in the good times and in the bad. So regardless of circumstance, there's a contentment, an inner sense of peace and a joy of inner contentment no matter what's going on in life. And we want you to remember it and get into that undercurrent again in the season of Advent. Joy, then, is a feeling or an emotion that pervades every part of my life regardless of circumstance because I see and because I experience Jesus. You see those caveats. I see and I experience Jesus. Therefore, what we must begin with in understanding is joy. And there's four things I'm going to name this morning. Number one, joy's only source is Jesus. Like that's a super simple. I've already kind of named it. But this is really important. Joy's only source is Jesus. We cannot... Create joy. It has to be given to us. It is something that can never be taken away. And as we read earlier from Luke 2, the angel's declaration of good news of great joy was solely linked to the coming of Jesus. It says, Behold, I have good news of great joy. That's for all the people. Today is born the Messiah. Good news of great joy, absolutely 100% completely only linked to the coming of of Jesus. Therefore, in this, we have to say, this is an important phrase, joy is otherworldly. Like, Jesus, joy is otherworldly. It didn't find its source in anything of the world. It finds its source, right, in Jesus, who is otherworldly. I mean, you know all these people, including yourself, including myself, who we spend our lives trying to find something that satisfies our deepest longings because each of us live life with longings we want to have satisfied. 
We're not, just don't feel quite complete. Don't feel whole. Just want more, right? And so in that, we give ourselves to relationships. We want to win in everything in life where we conquer others. We want to, to live with money and stuff, believing it'll satisfy. We want to have power. We want to live in the context of a, like we give ourselves to sex and pornography. We're looking, looking for something, something that can gratify, something that can satisfy some other source to produce this contentment inside of us. But the tension, what I'm teaching is this. Nothing on earth can actually meet that need. Why? Because true joy is otherworldly. It doesn't have its source in anything here. What that should cause you to pause and do, if you're just rational thinking people, is to go, huh, what am I looking for to satisfy me? Right? Like it's not, I'm just not making a point just to make a point in the thin air. I'm making a point to lead us to something like at the, like last, the last month when someone says, ask you what you're celebrating. What are you celebrating? What's satisfying? What are you looking to? Is Jesus really the only part of the equation? Like it's good to enjoy things on earth, but be openly satisfied to have inner contentment. It's only with Jesus as the source, which therefore means this joy. This is really important. Joy requires our ability to tap into the other world. Joy requires your ability to tap into the other world. All of us have probably somewhere along the way, we've either read the Chronicles of Narnia or we've watched the movies, right? And in this, C.S. Lewis, he has created, he's created this whole alternative world called Narnia, right? Called Narnia. In the movies and the books, you know, C.S. Lewis has created this world so these children in the story can be introduced to Narnia through the wardrobe, right? Big closet thing. And so they walk in to another world. And like when you, and when you watch and when you read, like you remember, like you're drawn to that world. Like all these, like I wish I could just cuddle with Aslan. That'd be awesome, right? Like we all want an Aslan to cuddle with. So in their whole life, it's like they are, they are literally, they're just led by this call to the, the other world, the other world, this land of wonder, this land of beauty, right? This Aslan, Jesus, Jesus figure enchantment in this world, right? It's so far exceeded the world that they knew that once they returned home back to England, all they wanted was to find a way back in. Now that they've tasted the things of the other world, that's where they wanted to be, right? The other world they had experienced satisfied them in a way their present world never could. Let me say that again. The other world they experienced satisfied them in a way their present world never could. Our experience of joy is no different. Your experience of joy is only, only experienced by connecting to the other world. Our call is to that. William Barclay says this on the screen. Christian joy is independent of all things on earth because it has its source in the continual presence of Jesus. Christian joy is independent, separated from all things on earth, 
because it has its source in the continual presence of Jesus. Remember, John Piper said, Christian joy is produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ. Christian joy is produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ. Independent of all these other things on earth, it's only in Jesus. Let me just press pause. And I, I'm never going to, I'm not going to, like, I, I'm never going to um, apologize for this. It's like, I, I feel like I spend so much of my time and my energy preaching. Randall says, like, I have four primaries. I only have four sermons. And one of those sermons is always going to be about returning people back to Jesus as a primary call of your life. Like, I, I'm unashamedly, like, there's all sorts of leadership principles that are super great in life, but the only leadership principle you really have to know is get into the presence of Jesus and listen and follow, right? Like, that's what it all boils down to. And so in this, right, Christian joy, your joy, your inner contentment that produces a sense of peace and the good and the bad is only, find, only finds its source in the continual presence of Christ in your life and your engagement of it. We have to say that unashamedly. The question is to ask ourselves, how well do you think you do tapping into the other world to see the beauty of Jesus? I can't answer that for you. I have no idea, right? So I don't sit in judgment. For all I know, you're all getting like an A+. plus. Yay, good job you, right? But you have to be honest and let God's spirit, his undercurrent, be honest with you. The worst thing we can do as Christians is let God speak about all these things and give us everything we want and never let him be honest with us. If you don't let God be honest with you, then you're wasting your spiritual life. Because he has all sorts of things he wants to speak about and give direction and clarity in. If you'll let him speak and his undercurrent is always speaking. So how well are you doing tapping into the other world and focusing on the beauty of Jesus? And I think you know when I say the other world, I'm speaking about our spiritual life, the life where Jesus has saved us, he resides with us, he leads us, and he relates intimately with us. And when we say looking at the beauty of Christ, we are talking about connecting, hear this, with all the traits that uniquely and powerfully define Jesus. I don't mean like, oh, the, the beautiful mountains and the beautiful ocean, beauty of God. No, I mean like his love, the beauty of his love. We're so enamored by it. We talk about we're enamored by his justice. Have you ever been just undone and enamored by all the omnis, the omnipresence and the omniscience of Jesus, that he is so completely other than, that he is higher than myself, and he is so much higher than the enemy, he has no equal, and that undercurrent gives me peace because I know that he is God and he is Lord. Do I live in that reality of focusing on and seeing the beauty of Jesus? Listen. Tapping into this other world requires an ability to live in connection with God's presence, to be confident of his investment, involvement in every area of our lives. It requires the cultivated, as in you giving yourself energy, the cultivated ability to listen to and hear his voice so that we know what he is thinking and what direction he's calling us to go in life. It requires our ability to have faith that God is good and moving in horrendous situations even when we don't see him. This week of Advent is all of the celebration of Jesus coming into the world so we could have that. That's why the early church fathers led us through Advent to remember, 
The undercurrent of joy is always present in the good, in the bad. It never, ever leaves. Therefore, we have to remember, number three, our joy is not circumstantial. Our joy is not circumstantial. Happiness is circumstantial. I'm doing life. Something good happens. Yay. And I get happy. Right? And you know how it works? Five minutes later, something bad happens. You ain't happy no more. Right? Is this what happens? We go, yeah. Best of times, worst of times. Because happiness is circumstantial. Our emotions are based on the good and the bad things that are happening. But joy... Joy is not like this. Joy is the constant in our lives that's never a byproduct or a result of something negative or positive that happens on earth. Joy is a byproduct of our awareness of God's nearness in our life. Joy is the byproduct of our awareness of God's nearness in our life. We see this multiple times in Scripture. Where God's children are called to rejoice in life when there are overwhelming hardships that are occurring. We see this specifically in the life of Paul in Philippians 4. This should be probably might, might be one of your Advent readings this week and whatever that you're doing. But read through the entire chapter uh, of Philippians 4 because he's writing to a church. And you can make the argument out of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians that Philippians is his favorite, right? That Philippians, like he loves all of them equally, but they're his favorite because they're so invested into him. They're so committed to him. They're so faithful in the life that they're living. So there's a sense of like they're his favorite because this is how connected and how committed they are in the context of their spiritual walk and their life with him. And so in this, it's interesting, the first three verses of chapter four, he stops his letter to encourage unity between two women who were leaders in the church and who were important to the life of the church. It was such a rift in the first three verses that the entire church had to hear the message about getting involved and that mediation, someone was stepping up, right? Someone was stepping up to kind of help them connect because these two women were living at odds with one another and could not relate to one another and create peace in the body of Christ. And let me just tell you something, if it's that bad that Paul has to put it into a letter for everyone to hear, then that's going to be disheartening for the Philippians, but also disheartening for Paul. Like whenever you have to go and deal with the mess like this, people that you love, it's disheartening. It's never easy, right? His favorite church is suffering disunity on top of this season being One of Paul's most difficult seasons ever. He's experiencing great turmoil. He, again, church is suffering disunity. It's overwhelming. He can't go there in person because he's in in prison, living life in chains, confident that death is soon upon him. And this is probably the last letter and correspondence that he'll ever have with them this side of heaven. You're like, oh yeah, they get to go to heaven. But I think we all know, no matter how much we love Jesus, like there is difficulty and hardship in the context of death. It's never easy. Leaving people behind who you know are suffering. And you can't help, you can't encourage, you can't be here to love on them, right? It's a spiritual father, it's overwhelming in the moment. But in this, he wants to write one last letter 
And I believe in it. He wants to primarily get, a, wants to get across the messages. But I think there's one primary message. You can make an argument against me. That's fine. But I see one primary argument that he is making. And we see it in verse 4. He talks about this hardship. He talks about this disunity. He talks about this extreme disconnect. He says, but rejoice in the Lord always, church, ladies. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me just say it again. Rejoice. It is a command. He's saying, you need to rejoice. I will say it again. Rejoice. I don't know exactly what's going on in Paul's mind when he writes these words, but it's important to note that six different times in this one letter, Paul talks about rejoicing. And here he says it, and then he stops He stops to reiterate the point by saying it again, and this can't be lost on us. Right. If I'm reading between the lines, because it's a little bit silent here and, and stuff, but I just kind of read from the lines ago. I just wonder if Paul, in the midst of his own hardship, in the midst of his own difficulties, in the midst of his own sense and feelings of loss in the moment of leaving behind, and in, in the idea of his life being over, six different times says, you know, what, what I want you to know is, in the middle of all of this, I've learned the secret of joy. In the midst of the seasons of plenty and signs of need, I've learned joy. And what I find myself doing in the midst of all of those moments is, is I rejoice because that's the secret. I choose in the moment to recognize that situations and circumstances don't define me. And I want you to hear that as my last lesson to you that just as I'm suffering and going through hardship, I have learned the secret. It is to rejoice, to celebrate the undercurrent, to recognize that God is with me, not against me. In the context of all these moments, I have an inner, I have an emotion of inner contentment because I know that he is with me. He's reflecting on his life experiencing. He wants to leave this message with them. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus, Philippians, like I'm doing. Because if you do that and that's all that you primarily see, then you can worship and you can rejoice. You see joy as a lifestyle and rejoicing as an expression are both possible in the midst of great turmoil because of our relationship and our nearness to Jesus. Christians never lose joy because they never lose Christ. In a sense, it's a, again, it's a last message. And for us, as we look at this, yes, hardships will come. Death is inevitable. We are not going to be immune to sorrow, nor should we be insensitive to the sorrow and troubles that others are experiencing. However, a place has been designed for us in relationship with Jesus. We are capable of knowing inner peace and inner joy in all circumstances because of the undercurrent of his spirit moving in us and his relationship with us. Which leads us to the last thing. I'm going to give you just these three steps of joy. There's nothing magical about three. It's just easy for me. I'm going to give you three, and then you can spend this week creating like 25 others, right? That's the idea. So steps towards joy. And it's going to say, number one, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Again, joy is not circumstantial, 
right? It's not based on your circumstances. Just because something good happens, oh my gosh, I won the lottery, I'm going to rejoice. No, it's not, it's not based on circumstances. Instead, it is an ever, it's ever present. Joy is ever present. This means that no matter what comes, we can add, we can and should rejoice that we are never alone. We have strength in Jesus to withstand all obstacles, that nothing in this world or the next can separate us from the love of Jesus. We always have an undercurrent of God's Spirit in us so that no matter what comes, rejoicing is the defining characteristic of our life. Rejoicing is a choice that we make. So always look to and find the source of life in Jesus in every circumstance. Number two, tap into the other world as much as possible. Tap into the other world as much as possible. How how do we live life focused on Jesus? Well, we just need to stop and look at him all the time, right? Listen, joy will be a byproduct of time spent with Jesus. Joy will be a product of any time we stop and look at Jesus, right? Like again, time with Jesus, time in prayer, time in the word, right? Spending quiet time with him, silence and solitude, whatever it may look like, right? Spend time in the other world with Jesus. The more time I spend in the other world, the more the traits of the other world become alive in me. Don't spend five minutes with Jesus in the morning and think you've done your spiritual duty and then go on for the rest of your day and get to the end of your day and then look back and see what happened in your daily life. You spend time with Jesus in the morning and then you spend every moment of every day driving and just looking at him, right? Going through work and then just looking at him, right? Stopping and having a conversation with him 24-7, asking him, God, I'm about to make this huge business deal that's going to cost me $3 million. God, are you in it? And I'm not going to move until you give me some peace either way because ultimately you're Lord of my business deals. God, my children are overwhelming me. God, I don't know what to do. I'm going to come and sit in your presence until joy, the, the, the undercurrent of your joy, speaks into the situation of my life so that in this dark moment, I'm able to rejoice because I can see the light of your undercurrent in my life. And so I celebrate. The third thing, just embrace Advent. Right? Embrace Advent. We gave you free access to Right Now Media, right? So you can go look at stuff every day and watch videos and people smarter than me talk about things I don't understand that's really, really good and that you probably understand that'd be great, right? How many of you have a Bible app on your phone? Show of hands. Oh my gosh. All you got to do is go in and type in joy and devos out the wazoo that you can go and learn and read. It's fantastic, right? We literally spent money on Advent guides and right behind Mark's head, right over here where the poinsettia is, there are free Advent guides. We paid for them. You get them for free, right? It's fantastic. Go get it. And actually invest into it and do your Advent devotional that morning and then jump into the undercurrent of its truth all day long in what you're doing and live otherworldly with it. Like, I mean, literally, I, we, I, Philippians 4, I'm talking about it because I read, I read something on it on Monday and I can't stop thinking about it. It's all I think about all day. 
driving down the road, meeting with people, doing meetings, doing whatever I'm going to do. And I'm thinking about this rejoice. Steve, rejoice. What does that mean? God's undercurrent. He's always here, right? It's the whole, like you know another Bible story around this. The poor disciples, they're in darkness in the storm. Oh, this is so overwhelming. And Jesus is sleeping. Of course he is. Way to go, Jesus. Completely failing me in the moment. You're sleeping. I'm freaking out. And Jesus wakes up and says, Oh, ye little faith, there's always an undercurrent of joy. Let's celebrate in the moment I'm with you. And just tell the storm to be silent. Watch. Silence. Oh, my gosh, God. I want to live every day with that picture of God. He's a storm silencer in every situation of my life. Grow in understanding of joy. Spend time with him. Listen, Seward and Kierkegaard said this, the more I learn about prayer, the more I realize prayer, hear this, is less about speaking and primarily about listening. Maturity is I spend 15% of my time, listen, 15% of my prayer time is talking and 85% is spent just sitting there listening because I have a proper promise for you. Jesus has better things to say than we do. Right? I'm just saying. And that's not to make you feel bad. It's that's how awesome he is. I know you have great things to say. His things are better. And here's what I found. The more I spend time just soaking, soaking in the presence of Jesus and allowing his light to break into my darkness, it just all of a sudden takes the things I would have been talking about, creates perspective, and I talk differently because he's given me joy. He's given me peace. He's given me hope. I've been saturated by the traits of his beauty that changed me forever. That's why the early church fathers gave you the gift of Advent. Because they know life steals this vision of the undercurrent. And they want to give a chance to return. Let's do it. Father, we are thankful for your presence. Lord, we're thankful for your first coming. We thank you, Jesus, that nothing happens in our life that you're surprised by or that you're overwhelmed by. There's no storm that comes that you go, oh, no, I can't take care of that one. No, you can take care of all of them, Jesus. That's why we can rejoice. That's why we can rejoice. It doesn't mean we're going to be immune to hardships. It just means we're able to rejoice in the hardships. Paul literally is about to die. He's in chains. He's suffering in the moment. But he rejoiced because he knew he was defined by the other world, not by the things of this world. Would you define us? Would you awaken us to be defined by the traits of the other world, Jesus? Would you come and increase and the other things would decrease? That you would do what only you can do, Jesus. That you would overwhelm us with your joy in this moment. You are good.